continue in our Sunday School uh, series uh, concerning personal evangelism, uh, we're looking at um, questions that can be asked. And last week I didn't have a handout the last time I did the lesson, and uh, so I printed it out today, and we've already gone through much of the probably the first three or four pages we covered in the last lesson, but just by a way of a quick review, and uh, some of us weren't here uh, for that uh, lesson, we were talking about the importance of asking questions when we're dealing with people on a one-on-one basis. And so many of the times, the best, place, the best people we have opportunity to witness to are those out in the community, in the workplace, uh, sometimes it's family members, and so forth. But we come into contact with people, we'll meet somebody. Um, I think of how even uh, Barbara was introduced to coming to this church. We mentioned it before, but Rosemary was out walking her dog. And I believe that's how she met you, right? She's out walking her dog. And they got to talking, and it ended up coming up. Church came up in the conversation here and there, and Barbara was invited to the service and so forth. And, and this is how people are saved, is when um, we are out in the community and it's kind of like the little song that we were just singing, but we're out in the community and we're a witness for the Lord. We just do what we can. We make sure that our, our walk is according to godliness. And then we are always looking for opportunity to speak to people about the Lord and see where it is that they're from. And so questions are a really good way to open the door. Um, and then as we look at how asking questions about people, but what we really began then to uh, concern ourselves with is the questions that we can ask in leading toward spiritual conversations. Let's say, and one of the things that we talked about last week was, too many times we uh, just assume, because we see someone pray over their meal, or we see someone on their lunch break reading their New Testament, And we just assume, oh, that's nice, there's a Christian. It's always good to see Christians. And we don't go and talk to them and uh, let that be a door. Oh, I see see you're reading uh, the Word of God. Uh, What are you reading about? And introduce yourself as I I, I also am a Christian. And then ask them, and the main question that we looked at, we began as we went through this, we got to the point where we were looking at questions that were asked in the Bible and the we left off with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, if you recall, and how Philip was led by the Holy Spirit to go meet with the Ethiopian eunuch. But as he approached, he saw the eunuch reading the scriptures. He had Isaiah opened up, and yet this man needed to be saved. But here he is reading the Word of God. And so the question, that, who can tell me what the question was that Philip asked the eunuch when he approached? Exactly. He asked him, do you understand what you read? And what was the response of the eunuch? How can I? Except someone show me. And so we see that that is, that is a prime example, is it not, of how we should be in our community. We're in the workplace or so forth. Don't just assume that because people are religious that they're born again. Don't just assume because somebody reads their Bible that they understand what it is that they're reading. And then we got into um, how we need to understand that when we're witnessing to people and we don't know their background, we don't know where they're coming from, 
just because someone is behaving religiously, just because somebody is reading the Word of God, they may be as lost as they could possibly be. And they know it. And they're actually searching the Scriptures. And we considered how it was that Philip, or the the eunuch, was actually in the process of searching, was he not? He was searching the Scriptures. He was a religious man. He wanted to know what the Word of God had to say. But he had to admit he wasn't saved. And he had to admit, how can I except some man should show me? And so we need to understand how it is that God works behind the scenes. And to me it's exciting. Evangelism is exciting. Because when we properly understand the doctrines of election, what we call the doctrines of grace, it is actually exciting. It should motivate us toward more evangelism. Because when I go to talk to somebody who is lost... I finally find out that they're lost. I don't know exactly to what level the Holy Spirit has been drawing them and working on them and how close that person is to actually being born again. Um, Think about how sometimes you can witness to somebody over and over and over. Or maybe you know of someone who has heard the gospel for years and years and yet they haven't trusted in the Lord as their Savior. And then there's sometimes when you witness to somebody or someone hears preaching and it's the first time that they hear it and they're saved. And that's how we see with Philip, is it not? He was, the Lord had been preparing his heart. But when he actually heard Christ preached, it says Philip preached unto him Christ. That was the first time Philip had ever had Christ preached unto him. And the first time he ever had Christ preached unto him, he just believed. He's like, "Where's uh, here's some water. What hinders me from being baptized? <laughs> and it's basically the conclusion was, well, do you believe? And he said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And, and so Philip baptized him. And wow. so we see, and it's an amazing thing when you look in the book of Acts, how it is that people would hear the gospel for the first time, and they would believe. Paul Um, when he went to Mars Hill, he preached the gospel to those people for the first time. Think about it. They were pagan. They were completely godless, idolaters. He preached one message. And at the conclusion of that message, it says, and -and so-and-so and -and so-and-so believed. It said that most of the people rejected the message because he preached about the resurrection. It says that's why it was rejected, because he preached to them the resurrection. And, um, but... It says, so-and-so and so-and-so, and and I can't remember their names, believed. And several others with them. So to me, that's an amazing feat. How it is that a man can preach the gospel one time, and someone can receive that message. And so to me, that makes it exciting when we are out and we're doing evangelism. And that's why it is important to get to know people. Why is it important to ask questions? And this is going to lead into our next lesson, which we'll get into a little bit today. We won't be able to cover much of that lesson. But today's lesson on asking questions will get into the next lesson, which is um, why it is important to understand where people are coming from so that you can more clearly present the gospel to them. And so let's go back and let's just look at, to finish the lesson from last time, We were considering uh, 
questions from the Bible, and we're only looking at a couple. So the first one we looked at, if you go to, uh, we'll be on page four. The first one that we looked at um, was, of course, concerning Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch. The next passage that I want to look at is found in Acts um, 19. And I have the scripture uh, printed out here, but Acts chapter 19 and verse 1. And in this passage, there's actually two questions that are very interesting that led to the salvation of the people involved. The two questions that were asked were, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And then the other question was, unto what then were you baptized? And so um, let's read this passage, Acts 19 and verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, and I wonder, I've often wondered what does it mean when it says he found certain disciples. I believe it's very similar to what we've been talking about. These were obviously not pagans. They were certain disciples. So they, their behavior would have been a certain way. Their speech would have been a certain way. Did he see them praying? How, were they, how did they first meet? It just says that he found certain disciples. He said unto them, Have you received, and evidently they were the kind of disciples, their walk was close enough to that of a Christian, because he asked them the next question, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? So he's assuming that they were believers. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We've not even so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should after, come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I've heard some people say, well, this is a prime example of rebaptism in the Word of God. But what this really is, is not so much, it wasn't rebaptism, it wasn't that Paul rejected their baptism. These people had not been saved. These people had not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't understand the message of John the Baptist. They didn't understand that there even was such a thing as the Holy Ghost. And so they were religious people, but they were not saved people. And so um, it's a, so if someone is baptized, having not been saved in the first place, then that's not rebaptism. Right. They received, by Paul, they received what would be called the baptism of repentance. And so um, Paul is able to determine... What's important about this is Paul was able to determine and then the message that he told them was based on he was able to determine this by asking two questions. What if Paul would have just assumed that oh here's some disciples praise the Lord. I'm not the first Christian in Ephesus. <laughs> right? Um, remember he ran into them as he, as he first came to Ephesus. He didn't just assume. And so the promise of the Holy Ghost indwelling all believers, as preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost, and the indwelling itself, 
did not occur until the day of Pentecost and thereafter. John the Baptist, and especially Jesus Christ, did preach about the Holy Ghost. John the Baptist himself um, preached of um, that the one who comes after me will baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Um, and the Comforter, Jesus spoke of sending the Comforter as well. If we look in Acts chapter 1, I have this printed out here on our sheet. Acts chapter 1, 4 through 5. Remember, the disciples of John in Ephesus said, we've never even heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. Well, as part of the actual message of John the Baptist, he preached the Holy Ghost. And so, um, in Acts 1, verse 4, it says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. This is Christ speaking to the apostles. But wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, You have heard of me. So he's, you've heard of the promise from the Father, from me. And then he says, For John, truly baptized with water, uh, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And then down in verse 8, Jesus said, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And we'll get more into uh, John the Baptist and the baptism of John the Baptist here in a second in a, in a later point, but it's an amazing thing to consider what it must have been like in the early days of the church. It's a different question than a question that we would ask today. Um, I'm not saying that because Paul asked these people, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe, that that's a question that we should just go around and ask everybody who says that they're a Christian. He was, I'm going to, the reason I say that is it's okay to ask somebody if they've received the Holy Ghost since they believed. But he was asking it in a little bit different way, I believe, than we would have been asking it. Paul, all Paul knew at this point was that they were disciples. Had they received the Holy Ghost since they believed? What if they were disciples from before Pentecost? What if these men had believed before Pentecost? What if these men had actually lived in the land of Israel and were actually baptized by John and they became believers before Pentecost, but they weren't actually present at the temple? Maybe they had moved back to Ephesus since they believed. This is all hypothetical, but if they had moved back to Ephesus as soon as they believed, they were there on a particular journey and they, and they went back and the promise of the Holy Ghost had not yet come during the life of Christ, during the time of the baptizing of John. So if they weren't present in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, for those who were already saved, when did they receive the gift of the Holy Ghost? So on the day of Pentecost when Peter was preaching, he told those uh, people when they realized they were lost, the, whole con the congregation is lost, and he's preaching to them, and when they realized that they had crucified the Messiah, they said, what shall we do? And Peter told them how that they needed to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, be baptized for the remission of sins, the whole nine yards. He, we were, we're very familiar with that passage. And he says that, let me just read it. Let's go there, because I'll, I'll mess it up if I paraphrase it. Um, 
But he said that the concerning that you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and the promises unto you and to your children and to your children's children and so forth. But I'll just I'll just read it here. So understand, nobody has yet been indwelt by the Holy Ghost except for those 120 who it had just happened that day. Um, And now Peter is preaching, they're speaking in tongues and so forth. And so when he's telling them, and remember, they were accused of being drunk. Are these men drunk? He said, we're not drunk. And so um, as he's preaching, he says, Repent and be baptized in verse 38. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's all one continuous statement. You believe on the, on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children. And to all that are far off. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So there's no, there's no conditions put on this. As many as the Lord our God shall call, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so, from this day on, when people were saved, they were indwelt by the Holy Ghost. But for those who were already saved, how did that, how did that work? And so, I believe what we see, and I'm not an expert on this, but I believe what we see in the early church is you see period or times when the apostles, like say when they went up into Samaria, or they would lay their hands on somebody and they would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They would and so I'm I'm cons- I'm I'm wondering, oh, I'm not dogmatic about it, but if a lot of the people who were already saved before the day of Pentecost when Paul asked them whether or not they had received the gift of the Holy Ghost since they had believed, whether or not they had literally received the Holy Ghost since they believed. Because if they were saved before Pentecost, at what point had they received the Holy Ghost? And through the laying on of hands and so forth, men did receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But I believe that it was there was an undeniable transition period in the early church. And it ceased after that first generation died. After that first generation died, it has continued since that when a person believes, he receives the gift of the Holy Ghost. He finds out that these men were baptized unto John's baptism, and not by John the Baptist, but evidently by the disciples of John. Disciples who had been truly saved under John's ministry would have migrated over to follow Jesus after the death of John. Remember, and I have it noted down here, John chapter 4. I think a lot of times we forget about this fact that Jesus and John the Baptist were both ministering at the same time. There for a while. John had said, he must increase and I must decrease. But John the Baptist didn't, when Jesus was baptized, John didn't just walk away and say, my work is done. Their, their ministries actually, they, they worked together for a short time until John was arrested. But John's ministry was always about pointing people to Christ. It was always about follow after Christ. And so, by asking this, these questions to these people in Ephesus, Paul, the, the main point of all this is by asking these questions, Paul was able to determine 
exactly what message they had even received or heard and exactly what it was that they were believing in. He says, have you received the gift of the Holy Ghost since you believed? But as a result of that question, what he ends up finding out is that they didn't really believe that much. Because what did they believe? Well, we've never even heard of the Holy Ghost. They hadn't become full disciples of Jesus Christ. They were just disciples of John. And so the next question is, is, okay, well, if you've never heard of the Holy Ghost, and this is the message that John preached, then unto what then were you baptized? And when they answer this, they say, unto John's baptism. It is almost as though Paul was challenging then what was the point of your baptism if you've not even heard whether there be a Holy Ghost? John the Baptist preached of Jesus who would baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He also preached, as Paul said in verse 4, that men should believe on Jesus Christ. Remember that Jesus had told the apostles in the Great Commission to baptize In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So when when they say, we've never even heard whether there be a Holy Ghost, the next thing that pops into Paul's mind to ask is, well, what were you baptized unto then? Because even now, when we baptize, it's, it's part of the command of Christ. Oh, before He ascended is, go into all the world and baptize. In, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And so, uh, Paul's question, the important thing here is, Paul's question led to these men believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And subsequently, they did believe, or did receive, the Holy Ghost. We might not ask this question exactly like this about receiving the Holy Ghost, because when someone tells us their testimony of salvation, and their life has changed, and they truly give evidence of being a child of God. It just goes without saying that they would be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, right? We don't have to, I don't have to ask pastor or my wife, um, have you re- since you believed, I know that you're a Christian, but since you believed, have, have you really received the Holy Ghost? Um, that's, not a, that's not really a question that we, that we ask. But as I mentioned, they were in a transition time there in the very early stages of the church. Um, But there are questions in this passage that we can't ask. Let's say, I have a couple points here, but a person says that they were baptized as an infant. (laughs) Unto what then were you baptized? That would be a very proper question, right? You're talking to someone, they say, oh yes, I'm a Christian. So, um, were you you baptized? Oh, I I was baptized as a baby. I don't remember it or anything, but I was baptized as a baby. Oh, so have you been baptized since you believed? Well, I've always believed. Oh, see, now we're getting somewhere, right? And so that's where, don't just assume because someone, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. Oh, I've been baptized. The more you understand the context about around when they were baptized, what was the point of your baptism at all? Exactly. And it also goes that just because people are immersed, so we're talking about sprinkling, we're talking about infant baptism and so forth, but if people were baptized by immersion in a church that believes a false gospel, 
then we can also ask a question. I know you've been baptized, and in, in, in from your testimony, I, I, I understand that I believe that you're saved. Let's say a person comes from a denomination that teaches a false gospel. We know that people can truly be saved in various denominations, right? If they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, if they believe that He died for their sins, and they place all of their trust is in Him, and they don't actually understand everything that their church teaches, they can be saved. But the baptism from wherever they came from can be rejected. Yes. Why? Because they teach a false gospel. And so, um, it's not... A lot of times we think about baptism, whether it's acceptable or not acceptable, based on whether or not they come from our kind of church and so forth. First and foremost, is it gospel <coughs> baptism? Does the baptism even picture salvation? And so, there are different denominations that, um, that immerse. But they don't preach the same uh, baptism or same gospel that we preach. And so if a denomination says that, well, we don't believe in hell and uh, we believe that you can lose your salvation and so forth, then are we going to accept the baptism from that denomination? It's like, no, because the gospel is so, baptism is so perfectly linked it's the, it's the message of the gospel is summed up in baptism. And so these questions are very, um, especially in our day and age, with all the different forms of Christianity. You find out where people come from, and it's like, well, unto what then were you baptized? It's a very interesting question. Another question that we can ask is, someone says that they're, they've been saved or they're born again. Have you experienced a change? Have you overcome the bondage and slavery that you were in? And if they, they have to actually answer, see, a lot of times people just, they believe that they're saved. They believe that they're a Christian. Oh, I'm going to heaven. But they've never really experienced the change. That's right. And sometimes when you have to verbally answer, and so let's say you're talking to someone who obviously has struggled and struggled and struggled, and you just ask them, have you ever, since you've been saved, have you ever overcome? Have you ever had victory like it speaks of in the Word of God concerning salvation? And they have to actually consider. For the first time, maybe they've never actually had to answer that. And they realize, well, I believe that I'm saved, but nothing's really any different than it was before I was saved. And that prompts them to really think. And see, that's what questions do. Do you have peace since you believed? Sometimes when people are saved, the first, the most impactful part of their salvation is that they finally, finally, I have peace. Amen. They can rest their head on their pillow at night that first time in their life. Maybe they struggled their whole life with their salvation. And uh, um, that was one of the, when Kathleen Marina was saved down in Colorado, that was one of the first things she told Brenda. Um, she called her up a couple days later, and she just said, I just have such peace. I've never had this. She said, and she literally said, that first night after I was saved, she's like, I slept so good. She just went to bed with just that peace. And so that's a question that you can ask. Uh, if a person seems, they just seem to be troubled in their life as a Christian, have you ever had peace? 
And then, of course, this question here, there are so many people today. Oh, yes, I'm a Christian. Have you been baptized since you believed? I know we already touched on baptism, but we were talking about it from a different angle. But there's a lot of people who have never even been baptized. They don't even, they don't even know. I was having lunch. I've related this before, but I was having lunch with a guy at work. Um, he worked for a different company, but we were having lunch together, kind of a, a company thing. Um, with a property manager and he knew that I preached and he was a professing Christian young and so he just asked he said I have a question um he said do you think that people are supposed to be saved when or baptized when they're saved and and I was just kind of I was taken back a little bit and I, but I just answered I said of course that's just the word of God I mean, in the, in the scripture, they were bapt- if you were saved, you were baptized the same day. There's not one example of anybody even waiting. Not one. You're saved, you're baptized. It's, it's just seamless. And he goes, well, he's like, that's what it seems like to me. Um, he's like, I've been reading the scripture, and, but he's like, I was saved in, in his church like a year earlier. And it was a first Baptist church in Fort Collins that since has dropped the name. But he was saved there. And... Nobody ever told him that he should be baptized. He figured it out on his own. There is such... It's pathetic what is being taught or not taught in churches. It's just, be a Christian. You know, but what about actually following the Lord? And baptism is the first step, is it not? Of just obedience and willing to identify with Christ and submit. And so, um, it's a question that we should ask when someone says they've been saved. Have you been baptized? Um, and then, um, since you've been born again, do you have a church of which you're a member? Um, are you a member of a church anywhere? There's a lot of people, once again, that um, Darren was telling me he's had several conversations with someone up there outside Deer Park, the guy that works for him, I think. And he seems to be a Christian. He actually has a pretty good walk. He studies the Bible a lot and he listens to one of these TV guys, right? And it's actually one of the better ones, but um, he just doesn't think church membership, it's a man thing, you know? He just doesn't think that church membership is, uh, is important. It's like, it's interesting how people can seemingly have a good walk and seemingly be interested in the things of God. And then, but the most obvious, <laughs> sometimes some of the, how can you read the word of God without understanding the importance of being part of a local church? Right? And it's like, oh, I just don't, I just don't see. It just seems like a man thing. So there's a lot of questions that we should be asking. Christianity is seriously messed up nowadays. Questions are often asked, as we wrap this up, questions are often asked to be thought-provoking. Jesus is a great example of this. Did Jesus ever ask a question to learn information? (laughs) I started doing a study one time on going through and looking at, I had a list and I lost it. I remember when I was in Colorado, I had emailed you and told you I'm working on this thing where I was going through and collecting every question that Jesus ever asked. And it was amazing. I mean, it's unbelievable how much he asked questions. He didn't need to know anything, and he constantly asked questions all the time. He didn't ask questions so he could learn something about that person. We unfortunately don't know. 
I don't know your heart. I don't even know my wife's heart. I mean, we don't truly know what makes other people tick. But Jesus did. He knew exactly what was in man's heart. He knew who was going to betray him. He knew who was really his disciples and all this. But he constantly asked questions. And I just want to look at a few questions that were asked by Jesus Christ. Uh, We have the example of the blind man who received his sight in John 9. It says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. This is the Pharisees had rejected this man who had been healed from his blindness. They cast him out of the temple. And when he had found him, he said unto him, the blind man, said to the blind man, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Think about that. The Son of God is asking this man whether or not he believes on the Son of God. And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and he it is that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. As I already mentioned, did Jesus not know whether or not the blind man had believed? The question prompted an honest answer from this man. That he did not even know who the Son of God was. But it was the desire, and he confessed with his mouth, his desire to know, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? What a wonderful picture there. I preached a message on that recently, um, on that entire chapter. But it's interesting how when you go back and you look at, and you look at things, the more things are emphasized and stand out. And just the dialogue between the Son of God and this man who so desired to know who the Son of God was that he might believe on him. And then Jesus reveals who he is, and the man embraces him and worships him. And then the next one that I have here is when Jesus asked, will you go away? John 6.54, Jesus says, he knows, he says, but there are some of you that believe not. So he starts off with telling them what he knows about them. There's some of you that don't believe, even though you say you do. It says, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, and now remember, many of his disciples had left him. Um, He said, therefore, I say unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given him of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then Jesus said unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Then Simon answered him, Lord, and see, here's the thing. This question prompted Peter to have to give an answer. And it's a, this is also a wonderful, there's a message here too. The thought that Peter, because of the question, Peter was asked, faced, he was forced to answer and consider, Lord, to whom would we go? When asked, will you go away? The answer is, there's nowhere else to go, Lord. And so um, it prompted him to answer in this way. That's a beautiful picture there. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. The passage itself states that Jesus knew who would betray him and who would stay before he asked a question. Mark chapter 5, verse 9. 
This is an interesting one to me. This is the, the man of the tombs, the demon-possessed man. And Jesus approaches him, and I did a lot of searching on this, and this is the only time that I can find where Jesus actually asked somebody what their name was. But Jesus literally asked him, what is your name? And God has, it says that he has the very hairs of our head numbered. Yet he asked the name of this person. The name that was given though was not that man's name. But the, it said, the voice that answered said, we are legion. And so um, Jesus asked that question for a very particular reason. But it's interesting that he asked in that situation what the man's name was. Matthew sixteen fifteen. He saith unto them, this is to his apostles, um, he was asking, who do people say that I the Son of Man am? And then they said, some say that you're Elijah, some say this, some say that. And he said, but whom say you that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, one of the things that I think is kind of pointed out to me as I consider these things is that Jesus Christ asked these questions eliciting a, a response from men. But the Lord is not the Lord glorified when we verbalize what it is that we believe in our heart. When the Ethiopian eunuch said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Um, um, Peter here, he says this, he confesses. God loves it when we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. Jesus asked Peter three times in John 21. And it's also okay to do this, to tell the Lord that we love Him. John 21 Lovest thou me? He asked him three times. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And finally Peter got frustrated and he said, You know, Lord, that I love you. The Lord knew that the Lord before Peter asked Peter that, he knew Peter loved him. He knew Peter loved him when he denied him. He knew Peter loved him. He didn't deny him out of love, but Peter loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, the thing is, is um, the challenge was, it was for Peter. Asking those questions was for Peter's sake. He was asking them for, for Peter's sake. And it was a call to service. And these questions that he was asking, he asked them, do you love me? Then act on it. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Serve me. Serve me. Serve me. And so uh, he was asking those questions, but if we were able to have a conversation with Peter, I believe, you know, if we were to talk to him 20 years into his ministry, just like we can look back at a point in our life, maybe we were saved for a while, but we can look back at a point in our life and we can be like, that's when my life really changed. That's when, the, that's when I really began to serve God. That's when I turned a corner, so to speak. And um, for Peter, he was already saved. But if you look at the life of Peter, 
after Jesus asked him those questions, his life changed. He sold out. He went all out. But it was an interesting thing that he was, Jesus was challenging him with whether or not he loved him. When he knew that he loved him, Jesus knew Peter would live a life of service. Jesus was not surprised when Peter preached the message on the day of Pentecost. <laughs> that he was the one that preached it. He was not surprised that he was thrown into prison and was almost executed after James was. He knew exactly what Peter was going to do, but he asked him and he challenged him with these questions. And so, um, how does this relate to us? We do not have the ability to know exactly who a person is or what motivates them, but questions can help us better understand who they are. And secondly, just as importantly, asking questions can cause that person to further examine exactly what he does and does not believe. Just as we use words all the time that we think we know the meaning of, when we are challenged to give the definition of a word, we realize we only know how to use it in context. In fact, probably half of our vocabulary is this way. We speak all the time and use words, but if you were to actually... So what does that mean? What's that word mean? Uh, I don't know. We kind of have an idea. We know how to use it in a sentence, but we don't really know the definition of it, right? And, uh, oh, you know, when we're challenged, we end up realizing what we do or don't actually know. Likewise, a person may think that they're going to heaven. They may think they're a Christian without actually being able to articulate why. Once they struggle to explain this, it can really register in their heart that they're not quite as sure as they thought they were. Or maybe the more they articulate it and the more they were to express it from the heart, the more confidence that they have and they just they're able to then tell other people about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for them. But questions are important. At one point I'll close with this. At one point in my life as a professing Christian, I lived a completely godless manner, yet believed I was saved. A family member, it was my grandma, she, she challenged me by simply asking the straightforward question. I was in jail, I was talking to her on a, on a jail phone, we had limited time, and it was about a month after I'd been arrested, and she just asked me a straightforward question. She said, Austin, are you really saved? And I'd been a professing Christian since I was 15. And it put me on the spot. And I answered. I answered yes. But, you know, and I believe I told her, well, you know, I've just really messed up. And once you're saved, you're always saved. So, you know, yes, uh, you know. But I went back to my cell. And I'm telling you, I went right back. After talking to her on the phone, I went right back to my cell. And I laid on my bunk. And that night, I wrestled with. Am I really saved? It's easy to say yes. But the whole point of this is that if she wouldn't have asked me that question, are you really saved? Because the evidence didn't stack up. The reason she's asking is because you're saying you're saved, but man, there is absolutely nothing about your life that that says Christian, that says a child of God. And I think even though I said yes, she didn't really have much confidence in that. But what that question did 
You could almost say she wasn't asking it so that she would know. It really put me on the spot, and I had to consider it. And I considered it off and on quite a bit for the years to come. If I'm saved, why am I saved? What am I resting in? Where's my confidence? And I ended up coming to the conclusion five years later, I'm lost, and then I was finally saved. My confidence was in my profession. It wasn't in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he had done. And so those questions are very important. We need to be willing to, to ask them in a proper manner and with a good, a good spirit. All right, Pastor Martin.